Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that your word will come forth in simplicity and clarity of speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. We pray that what we will study may not just be a lesson, but may it be life-transforming in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's move to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. If we have time, I'll see if we can finish the whole of chapter 2 because ideally I will want to, but I don't know if it would be realistically possible. But let's start. Therefore, my beloved, verse 12. So Philippians chapter 2, we're reading from verse 12 going. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Amen. Sometimes I've had varied interpretations of this scripture, and, you know, it can be quite funny, but sometimes just have to look at what the Bible is really saying. You know, for you to understand the Bible, two things you have to consider. One, what is the Bible saying? Very important. Number two, what is the Bible not saying? You always have to look at it um, from both sides of the coin to really rightly divide the word. So don't just look at what the Bible is saying. Also ask yourself, what is the Bible not saying okay so right here paul is exhorting the people about salvation they are saved washed by the blood but he gives them a very important instruction here he tells them that they should work out their salvation with fear and trembling number one Paul didn't say work for. He says work out. So for me, there are two important phrases in verse 12 and 13 that I want us to consider. Work out, verse 12. Verse 13, work in. These are very important words. Now, if you're a Christian, you have to understand the importance of these two phrases. Work out, work in. Workout is your responsibility. Working is God's responsibility. So we can conclude from these two verses that salvation is a collaborative effort between you and God. Salvation just doesn't hang on man. It also just doesn't hang on God. It's a collaborative effort. Okay? One of the things you have to know which is foundational truth of the New Testament is we don't work for salvation. We can't because Christ has become the final payment. He has been the end all be all of our salvation. Anything that has to do with our salvation has been guaranteed because Christ has worked to pay it off. All right, he paid the debt associated with that that now the only thing that we will have to do is to confess Jesus that he is Lord and will be saved, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. Since this Bible study, let's read it, okay? 
It's not good to quote scriptures at Bible study. It's better to read it. Romans chapter 10. Verse 9 to 10. So this is Paul talking about the gospel and it's being preached. But look at verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you don't work for salvation based on the scripture. All you have to do is to confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, that's it. And the Bible says when you, when you do that, Involving your heart and your mouth. The Bible says, with the heart, you believe unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we don't work for salvation. But now we are talking about working out. Now, what does it mean to work out your salvation? I'm going to read one scripture in three different translations. Amen. So go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. So I'm going to read this in the Amplified first. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. So first and foremost, let me read in the New King James which I normally use, and then I'll read it in three other translations. So that's what the New King James says. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So sometimes if you just casually read the scripture, you might not really get the full meat of what this scripture is trying to say. So what does it mean when the Bible says godliness is profitable for all things? And why was godliness compared to bodily exercise? Are, are you getting it? So the Bible is talking to us about bodily exercise profits a little. It profits a little because it, it just benefits life here. But bodily exercise doesn't profit you in the hereafter. All bodybuilders, none of them is going to say, Lord, I lifted up dumbbells and, you know, curls, and I did 300 bench presses, and I was able to lift it. It has no eternal value. I mean, if he's, if he's saved, that's a different thing. Do you understand? But, you know, it, it has no, that's why it profits little because it doesn't have any eternal value. But godliness being compared to bodily exercise, it has benefits in this life now and in the life to come. So now let's look at three different translations of this same scripture, and it will help us understand when Paul says work out. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. I'm looking at this in the first translation, Amplified. Look at it. For physical training is of some value, but godliness, spiritual training, is of value in everything and in every way, since it holds promise for the present life 
and for the life to come. So when we talk about godliness here, we are talking about spiritual training. That's why when you look at godliness in the Greek, it comes from the same word gymnasium. So when it's talking about godliness here, it's talking about applying yourself, applying yourself to grow in the image and in the likeness of Christ. It's tantamount to lifting a damn bell, being on the treadmill and all that. It's, 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 it's work. You know when you go to exercise, exercise stretches you. Likewise, when you are also growing in godliness, that's you want to grow in the image of Christ. When you are growing in the image of Christ, you forgive more. You love more. You don't give in to the last of the flesh. You know, it's, it's a stretch. It's, it's tantamount to physical exercise. Right? So that's it. But the beautiful thing about godliness or spiritual training is that it has benefits here on this earth and in the life to come. Amen. Now, let me look at the next translation. Good news translation. Sorry, not good news translation. New Living Translation. New Living Translation. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So now, working out. When Paul says workouts, talking about training for godliness, he's using a sports term, like an athlete will train for something. And we call ourselves believers. We also train for godliness. Amen. Now, message. The message. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. No spiritual flabbiness. So when you don't work out, when, when you hear messages, when you read the Bible privately on your own or corporately as a church, and you don't intend to apply any of the lessons, you are spiritually flabby. So one of the ways we develop spiritual flabbiness is to hear the word, to read the word, and not have a practical application to the word. We become spiritually flabby. And the scripture is admonishing us that we should exercise daily in God. You know, it, it is said that to, to live a healthy lifestyle, you have to do at least 150 minutes of moderate exercise. That's what they say. So maybe however I might want to split it, maybe 30 minutes in the gym for five days. But when it comes to this type of exercise, it's daily, every day. Every day you have to strive to grow up. Monday, strive to grow up in the image of Christ. Tuesday, strive to grow up in the image of Christ. Till Sunday, and it goes round, round the clock, round the clock. Each and every waking day, when God gives us breath, there is an opportunity to work ourselves, apply ourselves to grow in the image of Christ. 
a spiritual exercise. That's working out. And the Bible says that if we don't do that, we will become spiritually flabby. And when you become flabby, it's not strength. It's not muscle. It's just fat. And I mean, all of us here, I believe we quite know the, the health implications of fats, negatively speaking. Amen. Now look at it. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so making you fit both today and forever. So it talks about workouts in the gym, and then it compares it to a disciplined life in God. To have, to have a disciplined life in God, it's, 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 it's not easy. I'll tell you that. It's work. Because if it was easy, everybody who has confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes with his heart, one way or another, you will see semblance of Christ in them. But it doesn't really happen that way because we are not understanding the essence of working out. We, we have to work out. We have to apply ourselves to godliness, train ourselves to godliness. Okay? So there are certain activities that we do that will help us become more godly. Reading the Bible is one. You've got to spend time to read the Bible. These days, people struggle to read the Bible. There are some people, when they stand up, the first thing they do is check their phone. Go on Facebook. How many comments do I have? How many likes do I have? I posted my picture last night. Did they like it? You know, and all these things, it, it takes the place of your development in Christ. It's kind of difficult. So you have to really schedule time and buckle down and say, I'm going to read the Bible. Reading the Bible helps you have a disciplined life in God. Studying the Bible. So there's a difference between reading the Bible and then studying the Bible. And I did a message, I think, last year on how to read and study the Bible. So if you should listen, you, you, you will get the difference between all that. You know, there are different ways by which we can study the Bible. All this helps in our development. Prayer. Spending time in the presence of the Lord to pray. Don't just pray. Corporately as a church, learn how to pray on your own. Very important. Learn how to pray on your own. Alone, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, shut the door behind you, go into your prayer closet and pray. So learn how to pray on your own. It's training. It helps in the development. Applying the scriptures you, you, you read or hear. You heard the message on Sunday. Apply it. We talked about reconciliation. Do you have any steps that you are going to apply that message to your life? That helps in your development and in your growth. When you read the word of God, do you have any practical steps to apply? You may have read the scriptures about Corinthians. They were given, they gave, you know, but are you liberal? Do you give? We have to practically apply the word. Fasten. Fasting is one way by which you, you discipline yourself. And it's one way by which you grow in the image of Christ. It's godliness. So there are many things that we can do. Waiting. Spending time to just wait on the Lord. 
Maybe you work, you have about 20 days holiday. Maybe if you're a Christian, why don't you plan just, oh, let me take just one day out of the 20 days or two days out of the 20 days just to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to the Caribbean. I'm not going to Cabo or I'm not going anywhere. And there's nothing wrong going to Cabo because you go on holidays, enjoy, chill. It's good. But maybe if you're a Christian and you want to really grow in Christ-likeness, take those days. Like, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. Just going to wait. Maybe two days out of my 20 days, I'm just going to wait on the Lord and pray. Just spend time reading the Bible, meditating, listening to worship music. No Netflix, nothing. Just spending time in the presence of the Lord. All these things, it pays off. It brings benefits in this life and in the life to come. So when Apostle Paul is telling us to work out, he's not telling us to work for our salvation. He is telling us to apply ourselves to training, consistent training that will develop in the image and in the likeness of Christ. Amen. So that's our part. God will not do that for you. You have to do it. That is your responsibility. God will not read the Bible for you. It's your responsibility to open the Bible and read it. God will not pray for you. It is your responsibility to come before him and pray in the name of Jesus. And then God will work on your behalf. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. To obey the commands of God, that's not God's job. That is your job. Obey the commands. When God says, forgive. Don't hold grudges. Forgive. If you are waiting on God to do that, you will wait forever. Amen. So, workouts. That's the part of our salvation. Now, the next part is work in. So, we work out our salvation by development. It's tantamount to being in the gym. Now, the second thing that we learn here is that for it is God who works in you both to do and to will for his good pleasure. So what does God do? What's the working in? The working in is God giving you the enablements to carry out every training. So you have to decide, I will train in godliness. Then God will give you the enablements. He will will in you to do according to his good pleasure. Amen. So you, you also can't grow by efforts alone. That's why I'm saying that when it comes to salvation, it's a collaborative effort between us and God. Because God is going to enable you is going to will so that you will be able to do according to his pleasure. Amen. So we always have to understand that the workout, that's your part. Working, that's God's part. Working means God is going to give you every enablement, every grace, every divine ability to be able to carry out his commands. That's working. The workout is you. 
being disciplined to live the life of godliness. And when you are living a life of godliness, you resemble Christ each and every week in thee. Amen. All right. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So how many of you know that there's a very hard scripture to do? Because Paul is saying that we should do all things without complaining and without disputing. Dispute means arguments, you know, being cantankerous, being quarrelsome. That's a do all things. And do you know how you'll be able to do all things without complaining and disputing? It's when the fruit of joy is fully manifested in you. So you see that in this scripture, joy is always going to keep coming up one way or another. You can't do all things without complaining if you don't have the fruit of joy fully manifesting, fully developed in your life. That's why as we study this book, one of the prayers that all of us have to pray is that, Lord, may the fruit of joy be fully developed and manifested in life. Because when the fruit of joy is fully manifested and developed in your life, you will not complain. You will do all things without complaining and without dispute. So. One of the ways to know whether the fruit of joy is manifesting fully is, do I complain? If you complain, then the fruit of joy is not fully manifested. That's why you complain. Amen. So today, search yourselves. The Bible says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself. Do I have the fruit of joy fully developing, fully manifesting in me ever since I received Christ as my Lord and personal Savior? If, it, if, if, if you believe that the fruit of joy is fully manifesting in your life, my next question is, then why do you complain? Why are you argumentative? Why are you cantankerous? Why do you have a quarrelsome nature? People who have a quarrelsome nature is because they don't have joy. And I've learned by experience, sometimes the way to shut out quarrels is not to engage in it. Don't always say, I have to insist I'm right. You, you don't fight quarrel with quarrel. You fight quarrel with joy. And joy means I'm not going to mind you. That's it. Because I have something on the inside of me that I'm protecting. Personally, this was a very hard lesson for me to learn. Because when someone wants to be argumentative, I also become argumentative. Because by nature, I have strong opinions. And sometimes if you are like that, you, the downside of it is that you would like to argue and debate and all that stuff. But you, you have to temper that with joy. 
and say that because I have the fruit of joy, you have to learn how to close your ears and sometimes close your mouth. Well, don't respond. Just laugh and, and let it go. Amen. Because the Bible says that when you have joy, you will do all things without complaining and without disputing. And when you are able to do that, four things happen. The Bible says you will become blameless. You will become harmless. You will become children of God without faults in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And we are living in a time where we are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. People will be able to know the difference when the fruit of joy is fully manifested in us because we will not complain and we will not be argumentative. And when we do that, we become harmless, we become blameless, we become children of God without fault in the midst of a perverse and a crude generation. And number four, we shine as lights in the world. And I believe our lives have to shine. Our lives have to shine. And one of the ways our lives will shine is when we don't complain. And you can only do that not by willpower. You can only do that because the fruit of joy is fully manifested in you. So when the fruit of joy is fully manifested in you, automatic, it becomes easy for you to flow. Amen. So I pray that as we read the scriptures, may the fruit of joy be fully manifested in us. Because in this day and age we live in, it's very easy to complain. The past two years have been very rough, very rough, very tough. Right? It's a perfect opportunity to complain. Perfect. Things have gone wrong. Things have not gone well at all for the last two years. From 2020 to now, it's, it's been rough. <laughs> the decade of the 20s has not, have not really been kind. I wonder what will happen in 2023. Right? We started, we started the 20s on a very rough note. You know, is it even going to get better? Some people have gone so, uh, even far ahead to look at. Let's look forward to 2030s. I mean, this 2020, 20s is rough. You know, we are in the second year of the 2020s. Is it going to get better? Uh, hey, that's why you have to shift from happiness, which is an emotion, to joy. Because with joy, you become calm. And that's why I explained the Greek meaning of the word joy. Cheer or cheerfulness and a calm delight. We need to come to a place where we have a calm delight. A calm delight. And it's not because of the happenings around us, but it's because of the fellowship we have cultivated with God. Amen. We'll be cool. We'll be still. And we'll know that God is in control. Amen. So when you see somebody who is very positive and very optimistic, even in the 2020s, that is someone who has the fruit of joy. Amen. So there are many reasons we can't complain, but choose not to complain. Decide that I will let the fruit of joy be fully manifested in my life. And how does the fruit of joy become manifested? By, by having a consistent relationship with God. Because when we became 
Christians, that fruit is in us. Now, the fruit has to be ripe. It has to develop. It has to be fully manifested. And that's going to take relationship with God. That's the only thing. So pluck, pluck, pluck into that source. And when you pluck into that source, one of the many graces, one of the many virtues that will come out of the relationship we have with God is that the fruits of the spirit that is in us will be fully ripe, fully manifested, fully developed, and it will begin to express itself in diverse ways. And, and when joy is fully manifested and fully developed, one of the ways joy will express itself is that you will do all things without complaining and without disputes. Amen. I realize I didn't have joy because I really like to argue. And I really don't. I'm just cool. Uh, I become very quiet. So when you have joy, you will not entertain arguments and quarrels and debates. Even these days, when I go on Facebook, I just become upset because I'm like too much arguments, too much theological wars. Why? Yeah, too much. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion. And one of the dangers is to know more than you understand. You know, you are writing, but you display your ignorance because you know more than you understand. Amen. So let's let's be careful. Let's be careful. There, there is everything that will disturb our joy, and that will let us not act as joyful Christians. That's, that's too much complaints and disputes. Let's let's be a cut above the world. Let's be blameless, let's be harmless, let's be children of God without faults in the midst of this generation which is perverse and crooked and let us shine as lights. But it will start if we can do all things without complaint and without dispute and that will happen because of joy. Amen. Apostle Paul is saying something in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Apostle Paul is saying that don't let my labor be in vain. If you are able to do all these things that I have spoken to you about, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God that works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And that when you do that, you become blameless, harmless. You become children of God without faults in the midst of a perverse and a crooked generation. And then you will shine forth as lights. If you are able to do that and you hold fast to the word of life, I'll rejoice. I'll rejoice because I'll know that my labor is not even. And even if I'm killed, that's what Paul is trying to say, because he was in jail. And we didn't know his trial, what awaited his trial, whether he was going to die. But he's just like, even if I'm poured out as a drink of it, if I die, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. I've not labored in vain because of your faith. I'll be, I'll be glad and I'll rejoice with you. And you, in that same reason, you should also be glad 
and rejoice. But there's Apostle Paul's posture. He was just ready to die. And Apostle Paul was ready to die because of joy. <laughs> so the man who is writing, he had so much joy in him. Not because of his happiness. His happiness around him were not pleasant. You get it? But he had joy. He had joy. He said, don't grieve me by making my sacrifice and my labor in Philippi in vain. That's why I'm giving you these commandments. Amen. So that's something we can learn from Apostle Paul. So now, the last 10 verses are about two people he talks about. So let's just read it and let's close for today because we have some few minutes on the clock. So verse 19 to 24 talks about Timothy. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your states. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your states. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send them at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me, by entrusting the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So now he gave a good um, recommendation about Timothy, and he's sending him over to the Philippi church. Amen. He talked about Timothy, that Timothy is my son. He's my son in the gospel. So in, in the Christian faith, there is something as a father and a son relationship. Amen. Timothy was a son. Although Paul didn't give birth to Timothy, biologically speaking, he was a spiritual son. And that's why he called him that. Amen. And Timothy, one of the things is that he didn't seek his own. He had the mind of Christ. He didn't seek his own. He, see, he sought for the interest of other people. That's why he is confident enough to send him to the Philippian church. Amen. So that's Timothy. Now let's look at Epaphroditus. Verse 25 to verse 30. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So Epaphroditus was part of the Philippian church. So he was sent by the Philippian church most times to go and minister to the need of Paul by the donations by the Philippians. So Epaphroditus was a member of the Philippian church. Timothy was part of Paul's entourage. Okay. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. You know the funny thing? Paul never even complained about his plights. He was in jail, and he didn't talk about he had sorrow upon sorrow. But what would have made Paul sorrow was the death of a Philippian church member. Look at Paul. Paul is in chains. Paul is in a very hostile situation. 
you know, but he didn't even care about himself. He's rather thinking about this guy who was sick because he came to minister to my need. I pray that, oh Lord, may he not die. But if he dies, I'll have sorrow upon sorrow. But Paul's in jail, but he didn't have sorrow upon sorrow. But if, if a church member of his had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. That really ministered to me. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So Epaphroditus was commended. He didn't love his life. In others' life. Amen. I wanted to make certain statements, but I feel like it's more appropriate to make it to people in a work of ministry seminar gathering. Amen. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep that thought. Amen. But as it, Paul commended Timothy and Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus for how devoted he was to the things of God. He's a good man. They sent him with money and he didn't spend the money. <laughs> he didn't spend the money. Took the money, gave the exact amount. And the fact that he did right, he was also sick to death because of the work of God. Amen. So may God commend us. May God commend us. Just as Paul commended Timothy and Epaphroditus, may God commend us. Amen. So that's it for tonight. We're done with chapter two. Next week, we start chapter three. Do we all understand today's lesson? Thumbs up. Give me some emojis to let me know. Did you all understand today's lesson? Nobody. All right, what do you guys don't understand? Unfortunately, there is only two minutes on the clock because I don't see any emojis. What don't we understand? Please talk to me. Do we all understand? All right. So we have a minute on the clock. What did we learn tonight? One person. Don't bother summing up. Just what, what's one thing ministered to you?
nobody. All right, think about it next week. I I pray that you just meditate on whatever you've learned. Think about it, and then next week we'll look into that. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for blessing us with understanding. Thank you for the revelation that has come forth from your word. Uh, Father, I pray that we'll do your word. We'll be obedient. We'll do your word, O oh Lord. We bless your holy name for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God willing, tomorrow is September 1st. We bless God that another month dawns on us. And it's our friends and family month. September on the church calendar is our friends and family month. In lieu of that, we will be having a corporate prayer meeting for 30 days. And uh, the, the premise is that we are going to pray 30 minutes as a church every day for the salvation of a friend and a family member. All right, so 30 days. So our program is called 30 for 30. So we are praying 30 days and in a duration of 30 minutes. All right, so we are going to be meeting every day starting from tomorrow. So weekdays, We'll be meeting at 7.30. So that's 30 minutes. So 7.30 to 8, we'll pray starting from tomorrow. Except Wednesday. Wednesday, because of our midweek Bible study, we start service at 7 and then we finish at 8. But any other day, it's 7.30. That's weekdays. And then on the weekends, we'll meet at 8. All right? So 8 p.m. we'll be praying. 8 to 8.30, Saturday and Sunday. So we are going to meet in every day. And we have just one prayer topic, salvation. And we are going to angle it towards our friends and family member, family members, amen, because it's our friends and family month, all right? Then October 2nd will be our friends and family day service. So I, I look forward to all of you joining the program. I'm going to send the prayer topics starting from tomorrow. Every day we'll have a scripture and a prayer topic that we are going to pray. This brief 30 minutes will be done. Amen. So God bless all of you. Thank you for attending Bible study. Good night, and I'll see all of you tomorrow. God bless you.